0: All right, it looks like we're good to go. Hello everyone, welcome. I uh, Hope you enjoyed your lunch. Uh, so my name is Bill Magro, I work at Intel. Um, I'm a Chief Technologist for High-Performance Computing and I lead our HPC in the Cloud efforts. And today I'm gonna to be talking to you about high-performance computing in the Amazon AWS Cloud. Uh, Matt McKeeves, Director at Rescale, is gonna be joining me uh, on stage and, uh, for the second half of the talk. And what we're gonna to talk to you about today is really why are people looking at the Cloud for HPC what are the capabilities from the silicon level up to enable the uh, the the infrastructure? Ultimately, a platform level interface. And then, what are people doing on top of that? How do you make it easy to access HPC in the cloud uh, to get productivity out of the cloud? So this is a mandatory Intel legal notice. Um, it says a variety of things. You see it anytime Intel speaks. So first, I'll I'll get us going and talk about Intel. Um, Fundamentally, Intel powers HPC in the cloud, because at the heart of the cloud are Intel technologies, such as Intel Xeon processors. Uh, And I'd like to tell you a little bit about um, what we do at the bottom up, and then how we're working with the ecosystem to enable easy access to familiar interfaces, uh, familiar platforms for you when you're trying to do high-performance computing in the cloud. But before I do that, I need to talk about what is HPC. Um, Sometimes if you ask someone what is HPC, they'll say it's using supercomputers to solve the world's largest problems. Um, And they'll define it in terms of the infrastructure. Other people might say HPC is all about the problems you're solving, such as the domains that are on the screen here. Uh, Life sciences, uh, doing um, personalized medicine, cancer research, or uh, gene sequencing for personalized medicine. Uh, Financial markets run on HPC systems, so risk analysis and program trading. Uh, A lot of our energy Uh, and the efficiency with which we can extract energy, oil and gas uh, from the planet comes through high performance computing, seismic to discover where it is, and then reservoir management to maximize the utility once you've drilled, and and how you manage that reservoir and pump and get the most oil out. Um, Our weather is forecasted with high performance computing systems, scientific visualization is done that way, and so on and so on, all the way up to national security. But when I think about high performance computing, I don't think in terms of the infrastructure or necessarily in terms of the workloads. Instead, I think in terms of what is the activity that you're doing. Ultimately, you're trying to use a high performance system to generate insight. You're trying to understand something that you didn't understand before. Whether it's mining through massive amounts of data to gain an insight, as is done commonly today with artificial intelligence. Whether it's predicting the path of a hurricane and knowing that it's gonna take an unexpected turn so you can evacuate and save lives and minimize property damage. These are valuable insights that are delivered through this activity. So high performance computing to us at Intel really comprises three things. One is a problem where the purpose of the activity is insight. The second thing is the fact that it's a computationally demanding problem. If it weren't computationally demanding, we wouldn't, couldn't legitimately call it high performance computing. The third thing is that as you apply more resources and you do it appropriately and intelligently, you get a more valuable result. And this is where cloud comes into it. Um, so, so this is a picture of a couple different styles of high performance computing. If you were to take that view that high performance computing is all about applying a supercomputer to the hardest problems, you would miss a tremendous opportunity in HPC. You'd miss the opportunity to see how cloud fits into that picture. So on the left is kind of the traditional view of high performance computing from an infrastructure perspective, where we have a bunch of uniform resources, they're tightly coupled to each other, uh, they have a very low latency network, very low jitter, um, high bandwidth, uh, your processes are all placed perfectly together. Uh, when you do that, you can actually start to scale problems up to massive scales, and that's, that is what's needed for doing things like climate modeling and weather prediction. It is needed for things like doing a car crash simulation and understanding how a car is gonna perform before you build it, understanding how it's gonna perform in rollover tests for occupant safety. But leading up to that point, when you're ready to do the big simulation, oftentimes you're doing a lot of small simulations. So think of the car example. Someone is, is working on say a headlight where a designer has said, I wanna get a more aggressive look and is trying to put an angle into the headlight. Meanwhile, someone else is, is concerned with, with fuel efficiency and saying, hey, if I put, you put that angle in, you're gonna increase drag. So the engineer ends up with these many requirements and needs to search through a lot of designs to find the, the best case or the best um, design that will, will meet all the needs. Similarly, someone else could be working inside the cabin trying to find a material that will minimize occupant injuries during a crash. Now they're studying the behaviors of foams or other things inside the, uh, the cabin doing a small simulation when maybe there's an impact to the knees or an impact to, um, to a driver from an airbag. How do we design a safer car? All of those simulations, all that design space exploration is actually something that can be done through a massive, what we might consider high throughput. Uh, type environment. And this is where the cloud comes in, and comes in really strongly, because even though you're applying a massive amount of resources to a problem to get a more valuable result, the insight of which design I should follow, you're doing it through a collection of smaller simulations that don't have the same characteristics and thus don't have the same requirements uh, on the high performance computing system. So if you imagine on the spectrum of, of workload demands there's a whole range of workload demands that a supercomputer can satisfy. And there's a subset of those that the cloud can satisfy. And by being intelligent about what you put where, you can actually get more done uh, and improve the, your productivity. So this kind of informs why people are looking to the cloud for high-performance computing. Um, and the, the second one on, in the middle on the top there, managed demand surges, is an example of what I was talking about. So in a well-publicized example, a few years ago, Western Digital, which creates hard drives, was trying to design you know, the optimal head for the hard drive. And they needed to do this type of design space exploration. So they used Amazon Spot instances and were able to spin up almost 71,000 cores and do the design space exploration, trying a million different simulations. And then they were able to achieve in eight hours what would have taken 30 days on their on site computer. They ended up freeing up their on site supercomputer to solve the hard problems that demanded it. And meanwhile, their engineers, who would have been waiting a month to make a decision, could now get the data and make a decision in days. This is an example of intelligently using the cloud to augment the, the systems that you have on premise. Um, similarly, no matter what system you buy on premise, the economics of it can be quite great, um, but your demand, your supply is static your demand for compute is highly variable. And in fact, when we talk to market analysts, they say that typically they see a 25% plus backlog of demand on high-performance computing systems. Now, the reality is that most engineers, most scientists will actually stop submitting jobs to a queue when the backlog gets to about 25, 30%. Uh, My own background is as a computational physicist, and I know that this is what I did. And the reason is, if you put a job into the queue, you can estimate how long it's gonna take to run. And if it turns out that you believe that by the time your job runs, you've already moved on to the next question, you'll think harder about what you put in the queue, and you'll ultimately limit what runs you do on the computer. The reason being you have to be smarter about what you run. What the cloud does is it changes that. It allows you to take the jobs that can run in the cloud and get them off your on-prem system. It frees up your on-prem system to do the hardest work, get more value out of what you bought, and now you have a way to provide dynamic or variable supply uh, to meet that variable demand. So we've talked to many customers who essentially say the cloud is allowing their engineers to unlock their creativity, unlock their productivity. And in fact, their biggest concern is how to contain how much they consume uh, because the engineers would consume um, potentially unlimited amounts of resources if they were allowed to. So this managing demand surges is really a big, big factor. Another thing that we see is R&D collaboration. More and more companies are becoming global. Uh, The data that they need to operate on can be coming from many places. What better place than to put that in the cloud and let everybody operate on the data together? Get a common view, do remote visualization. So a lot of people are adopting HPC in the cloud, again, to complement what they do on-premise for some of the really heavy-duty simulations uh, in order to foster R&D collaboration worldwide. Uh, Obviously, easy maintenance is a key factor. You don't have to get your hands dirty. You can focus on your work um, and in terms of capital and investment, it takes time to order and install a new system. And oftentimes there'll be a new technology that comes out and, and more often than not these days, the new technologies are showing up first in the cloud. So when the latest greatest processor platform comes along, you may want that and you may even have an order to increase your on-prem system, but today you can get into the cloud and start using it, understanding how your workloads behave, um, understanding what is the right configuration, because you can try a lot of different instance types to inform what it is you should be buying. And you can be getting work done while you wait for the systems that you've ordered uh, to get delivered. Um, Access to scale, the example I gave you of a million simulations run on 71,000 cores. That's just not something that you can afford to provision for those peaks. Uh, So complementing again, your on-prem resources with something in the cloud that allows you to go and spike your workload when it makes sense and when it makes good business sense is, is a key value. Um, And the last thing I wanna say, it's not about upgrading current capabilities, it's about whatever you end up buying on-prem, there's value in making that as homogeneous as possible from a management perspective. One of the beautiful things about the cloud is no matter what you buy, it's been an optimized decision across a range of workloads, but there's always gonna be one or two workloads that really wish you'd bought something else. Well, now you have the diversity of instance types in in the cloud and you can actually take those workloads that would have been better served by a different um, purchase decision and actually serve them in the cloud. And then again, then you end up improving the match for the workloads that, that lined up well with the, the system you did purchase. So essentially, the diversity of workload types or the diversity of instance types in the cloud actually helps you optimize your workload mix. So Intel's Xeon processors at, at the heart of the Amazon cloud, and of course they deliver performance, and I'll show you some data about performance uh, looking at some some of the latest instance types in the Amazon Cloud and what type of performance they're delivering for high-performance computing workloads. Um, but behind the scenes, uh, you know, Intel and Amazon have been working together for over a decade, engineering collaboration, uh, delivering custom products to power the Amazon Cloud uh, to really enable the security and the agility that you experience uh, through your, your interactions with AWS. So while we're gonna focus today on high-performance computing, we don't wanna forget that it rests on a foundation of security and agility uh, that's coming from Amazon and Intel's partnership in this area. So the latest processor family that we released, um, it was about a year ago, uh, was the Intel scalable uh, processor family. And these are the ones that are we're actually recommending and most people are purchasing for high performance computing. Compared to the previous generation, uh, it improves performance on math intensive code, so floating point and and integer uh, type codes through this AVX512 instruction set. And in fact, we get a peak improvement of 2x floating point operations or flops per cycle. Uh, And this is yielding performance improvements on real applications in HPC, as you can see of 1.75 to 4.66 in the sample I'm gonna show you. Um, Obviously, you need to do your own runs and see what it does for you. Uh, But we saw very good performance improvements generation over generation on bare metal, and we saw those performance improvements translate into performance delivered generation on generation from the C4 to the C5 instance in the cloud. So if you wanna use these latest processors, one of the instance types you can use is called C5. And this is actually one of the ones we recommend for high performance computing. Um, We've got more performance, and of course the price went up more slowly, so you have a 25% price performance improvement over the previous generation. Uh, We're using some custom Intel Xeon processors, uh, we you know, configured in conjunction with our, our partners at Amazon and they run on up to three gigahertz. This is the Skylake generation if you're familiar with our code names. One of the nice things in this latest generation is that you can actually access all the virtual CPUs on the system. So you can go up to 72 virtual CPUs and have access to 140 gig of memory. And this means you can do two gigabytes per core, which is a really nice, um, per, per virtual CPU I should say, which is a really nice amount of memory especially for these throughput-oriented problems that tend to be more memory-intensive than if you were doing a scale-out application. But it's still plenty of data, or plenty of room to run, of course, the the scale-out HPC workloads. Um, It's paired with a 25 gigabit network, and so this is actually now getting powerful enough that you can start to run HPC systems that aren't just that uh, throughput-oriented set of examples I gave you before, but actually start running simulations that are multi-node. And over time, I actually expect The things like um, placement groups and reduced jitter, reduced latency, higher bandwidth, all these types of things are gonna continue to to grow in the cloud and the the subset of workloads that you can run in the cloud to complement what you have on premise is gonna grow over time. So everything is heading in the right direction uh, for HPC in the cloud. So here's some specs from the C4 to the C5, just to compare them. You see a doubling of the virtual CPUs Um, We've moved from the Haswell to the Skylake generation, which is a new micro architecture. That's when Intel actually puts more performance out of the same instruction set and enables new instructions like the AVX 512, giving you 512 bit wide registers that you can operate on, giving you tremendous parallelism uh, for your math, you know, per instruction. Uh, You can see the increase uh, in the performance of the elastic block storage uh, and also the, the significant improvement in memory capacity. And while I didn't mention it, a lot of these performance improvements that are coming are actually coming through the increased memory bandwidth of this platform. Uh, So there's a lot improved stream performance and about 50% of workloads in high performance computing are memory intensive. uh, And there are some of the ones that are gonna see the biggest benefits here. And of course the compute intensive ones are gonna benefit from the denser compute coming from the AVX 512. So I promised to show you some performance examples. Um, Here's a range of workloads. I I hope you can read them. Um, Some familiar ones here. Stream, that's memory bandwidth, reflecting that 2x improvement in platform bandwidth. Here we observe 1.77x improvement generation on generation. Home, which is a a climate uh, application, climate and weather. Uh, Milk, which is quantum chromodynamics. Dyna, which is car crash simulation. Worf, Worf is weather forecasting. Gromax and LAMPS, uh, you see on some of the higher improvements up in the 3X range, those are computational chemistry used a lot in in, medicine and other type of drug discovery. Uh, And then um, also DGEM there, uh, which is dense matrix multiply, that's really showing off the double precision, dense matrix multiply performance that you can get from the AVX512, and that's at the heart of a lot of algorithms, you see a 4X improvement from the C4 to the C5 instances. So just to, to come back to the point I made earlier about the diversity of instance types, maybe it makes sense for you when you're buying your system on-prem to build out uh, these, um, you know, say, Intel you know, Xeon Gold processors. That, uh, a typical model that people buy is something called the 6148, uh, which is really great for high-performance computing. And is very similar to what's, what you see in the C5 instances. But what if you have some applications that really don't benefit from large core count. Instead, they want a big memory footprint and they want really high clock speed. Well, we make those Xeons too. And even though you may not end up not buying many or as many of those as you'd like for your on-prem system, they're always available in the cloud. So the Z1D high-frequency instances you see actually have eight gigabytes to vCPU, so four times the memory. They can scale up to, to four gigahertz, a so high frequency. So we see applications in electronic design automation, EDA, Uh, relational databases, sometimes in gaming where the frequency of the memory capacity is more important than the core count. Uh, So again, the cloud gives you the flexibility uh, to augment what you purchase on site with the right instance type for your workload in the cloud. The last thing I wanna talk about before I hand it over to Matt is, you know, how many people are here at AWS, right? There's, There's tens of thousands of people here. And many, many people who are here are working with the infrastructure level interfaces, right? But HPC users don't actually uh, really know what to do with the cloud interfaces. Most HPC users are familiar with logging into a system. It likely runs Linux. It, It has a common environment across all the nodes. They can jump from one node to another and they can submit a job that uses MPI message passing to run the applications they care about. And as you move into the industrial and commercial space, A lot of times, the users of those applications, things like Ansys and Radios and Alice and some of the codes I showed before, don't even know how those codes work. All they know is the codes run on a certain platform on-prem. How do I run it in the cloud? And that's why it's critical to have people who are actually building a consistent HPC platform um, for the cloud that matches the environment that you see on-prem. Now, the hardware underneath is gonna be different. It's gonna be running on virtualized instances. It's gonna have a different network. But from the perspective of the user and from the perspective of the applications, the fewer changes, the better. And the more automated it is, the better. And that's Intel's been working with the ecosystem, with, with Amazon, with Rescale, and with a number of other partners to ensure that the experience people get on premise with their systems, the de facto cluster architecture that is working today for HPC is replicated in the cloud. Because that creates workload mobility it makes it really easy to do the things I talked about earlier, like picking which workloads based on their characteristics should be in the cloud and easily moving them without recoding, uh, without rebuilding. And so with that, I'd like to hand it over to Matt, who's going to talk about what Rescale does, which is is a company that actually creates this layer and gives you access to those applications. Thanks, Matt.
1: Uh, so before I get into what Rescale is all about and who I am, I think let's, let's start with a customer story because those are always the most interesting. So if I wanted to understand how the avian flu were to move through a locality or through a region, it would be contingent on a number of different variables. Access to transportation systems, access to health care, hygiene, education, a new, uh, numerous uh, variables that would actually affect that, how that disease would spread. And the models that I would need to build to understand how that disease spread through a population would ultimately, the more and more refined they would be, the more complex and the more computationally intensive they would get. And so a great example of a a company that's doing this is called Metabiota. And Metabiota runs tens of thousands of parallel simulations um, on uh, the Rescale platform, on AWS services powered by Intel technology, to distill complex disease models down into quantitative risks so that governments and companies can make good decisions about how to deal with a potential uh, bio threat. In doing tens of thousands of simultaneous uh, simulations, costs, if you're doing this on-premise, would be quite high. Um, In addition, costs in the cloud could be quite high too. So another thing that uh, Metabiota was able to do was leverage things like the spot market to bring their costs down, which ultimately allowed them to avoid millions of dollars of IT and, uh, and server costs and to be able to deploy, be very agile and responsive to their customer base, especially as bio threats began to emerge. And so this is the kind of example um, that we see when organizations are leveraging the massive uh, scalability of the cloud. And when we talk about, and Bill talked a lot about why, right? And so I think that I think the why, I love talking about why cloud, it's, it's fun. It's fun talking about how we can think outside the box and new problems, explore new design spaces. Um, and it tends to be just a, a more interesting conversation. However, um, I think it's kind of played out. Um, Bill mentioned the great, uh, already introduced it. At this conference, at AWS is happy to tell you about all the reasons of why cloud. What Rescale as a company is really focused is on the how. Bill talked about some of the challenges. I will talk about some other challenges that when you're migrating HPC workloads to the cloud from the user experience um, to the infrastructure, to the applications, um, and how Rescale is dealing with those challenges. And whether you're using Rescale or any other services, those challenges still need to be addressed. Um, You may be able to take those back to your organizations on how to do that. Tim Crawford is a kind of a CIO luminary um, that, you know, shares insights uh, on Twitter amongst other various social media platforms. But this really res- resonated with me in terms of thinking about the why cloud versus the, high cloud, the how cloud. There's a lot of reasons to do it, but actually, how, how do we then do it? Um, so I'm responsible for our business in North and South America for Rescale. And Rescale... Oops, i going one back. I lost the slide, but that's okay. Um, so what Rescale is, is we are the how to do HPC on AWS. And Rescale is a software company, and we build the software platform that Bill was mentioning. And we have been doing this since 2011, which was too early to get into the market for cloud HPC, Um, but now there's been significant evolution. We've seen a, a major uptick in virtually all customer commercial organizations that are committed to the use of HPC to include academia and government, are now thinking about how do they extend HPC to the cloud. And that's what Rescale is doing. And so uh, I'll go through a series of challenges and what those challenges are and how Rescale is addressing them. Um, So the first is the availability of applications. Organizations that are committed to the use of high-performance computing are typically using tens to hundreds to thousands of different applications, different versions, and a variety of different licensing schemas. Um, if anyone has tried to get a license server to talk adequately to different Amazon regions, in um, VC2, they understand kind of the mundane um, but very real challenge there, especially if you're trying to do it on a global scale. And so a variety of different applications. A lot of these applications, as I mentioned, anything from open source to commercial off the shelf, different licensing schemas that you have to work with, and then also different tuning requirements on different types of infrastructure. And what the Rescale platform is delivering this systems administration burden through an automated SaaS platform so that you can manage, manage access, um, install, tune these applications on a variety of different infrastructures um, that AWS offers. Another challenge is running on the best suited architecture. One of the, the major advantages of the clouds is a lot of variety. And if anyone is familiar with HPC applications, you know that different applications, even different models, can run optimally on different types of infrastructure. So if I let's take Apicus, for example, from Dassault Systems. That is a, st- a fairly industry standard, nonlinear finite element analysis code. Every different model that you run through that uh, application could actually be optimized on different infrastructure, depending on the type of model you're doing. So how do you create a seamless experience where you can take advantage of the latest Intel technology and uh, take advantage of all the different instance types that are available, but create a situation in which an engineer can choose the best application for the best infrastructure, and how do you do that seamlessly? Again, through a SaaS-delivered platform, Rescale is offering a seamless user experience where users can switch in and out infrastructure um, for different models and different types um, without having to do any changes to the infrastructure layer. Another challenge is reliability and security. High performance computing applications are typically the crown jewels of an organization's intellectual property. It's designs, it's the research, it's the R&D, it's the cutting edge technology that that is working on. So in the shared security model, we know that AWS is going to secure everything that's on their end, but in the shared security model, a good deal of that responsibility falls on to my organization, to my my company, to, to, to my agency. And so the end-to-end data management, the network access, um, the certifications that are required, um, it's not just the uh, security of EC2 and S3 buckets, right? It's the full end-to-end experience and everything that your users are doing on that platform. Um, And so Rescale is addressing this, again, through an automation of a number of these best practices that AWS recommends for high-performance computing. Um, in addition, obtaining the certifications so that an organization can be confident. Uh, and, and just recently announced announces we will be also FedRAMP Moderate certified here uh, in Q1 of next year. Another challenge Bill mentioned is the user interface. With an HPC user community, you have a wide variety of different users, some that are very, very... Uh, that, or prefer to talk to the matrix, right? So they want a full CLI interface. They want to talk like they are normally... Uh, talking to a scheduler um, in uh, writing their scripts um, for the scheduling scripts and then you have the other end of the spectrum where users don't know anything about what's going on behind the application that they're using or behind the GUI of the application they're using and then everything in between. And so how do you support a user base that's, that's diverse? You need a simple interface for not only users but you're also your administrators that are managing access and control and setting budgeting for all across the users of your organization. Um, But you also need to be able to support the users that are used to very scheduler-like interfaces that have scripts that are set up um, to work in their current on-premise systems and that would really prefer to use no GUI interface at all. And so how do you support that wide range of users? Uh, And Rescale solves that challenge also. And then also accessing diverse data centers. With geographically dispersed organizations, collaboration globally is very important, as Bill mentioned. But then also, in some cases, you have to be able to regionalize data. And there are data, data privacy laws or restrictions that cause you to have to regionalize data in different places. So how do you leverage the global nature of AWS, but at the same time meet local uh, data privacy laws and then also enable global collaboration um, when it, is, it will help the organization? So Rescale has created something called the ScaleX platform. It's a seamless AWS HPC deployment and it takes all of the complexity of delivering uh, HPC from the cloud infrastructure, and it also mimics all of the on-prem- on-premise components that are required to deliver HPC into one seamless automated enterprise SaaS deployment of high-performance computing for an organization. It does this leveraging all of the AWS data centers and all HPC instance types um, that AWS offers. And so, What Rescale's mission really is, is how to deliver HPC simply, securely, and robustly. In the shared security model, a portion of the responsibilities fall on organizations such as shared security and compliance, systems administration, management monitoring, productivity workflow and tools, deployment user experience, and one other thing that has actually um, been critical doesn't really fall into the, this, uh, the AWS responsibility, organization responsibility, but after seven years of doing this and helping organization, it's something we call final mile support. To make it To make HPC in the cloud effective for an organization where the user begins and the infrastructure ends is typically where all of your problems are gonna arise in supporting an organization. And that's typically the toughest problems for an organization to solve because it takes knowledge and expertise in the application itself and how that application interacts with the infrastructure. And the problems that arise can be uh, many. Uh, A lot of them user-driven, but uh, everything from the inputs to the application itself that's running on it having issues. And being able to troubleshoot and solve these problems is a critical component to making HPC effective in an organization. Now, Resco offers this type of support, as it comes through our platform, is part of our service. But if an organization is looking to do this on their own, that's a critical element that it needs to be solved and needs to be taken into account for deploying HPC effectively in the cloud. So why why software platform? And you know, and Bill talked about a software platform, but it's worth asking: Is this really necessary? And uh, and at Resco, we obviously think it, it is, and it's helpful for an organization. Um, and one of the reasons we think it's helpful is because we can use economies of scale uh, to help drive improvements in HPC-specific features that the HPC community needs back, um, back to our user base. Um, an example of three of these features that we delivered in 2018, um, the first is hybrid. So deploying both on-premise assets and cloud assets into under the uh, uniformity uh, under a uniform one SaaS platform experience so as your jobs are coming in one way and then being dispersed out to a variety of different infrastructures another way is high, another feature is high performance storage where an organization can dynamically create manage collaborate with and destroy high performance storage assets within that organization for high data throughput. And another is what we call end-to-end desktops, which is really just interactive HPC, where organizations can use, can interact with batch jobs, they can pause, they can change parameters, um, and they can look at results interactively as they're being generated um, uh, in in their analysis. So looking at, uh, coming back and putting this all together about why this all matters, um, I think all of us are fairly uh, attuned to the, the cycles of mobile phone um, releases. Uh, we expect new mobile phones once a year, um, those of us in the tech community especially. And so one company, uh, P. Semi, Murata Company, is using high-performance computing in the, in the cloud to verify and test front-end modules for smartphones and they're able to speed portions of the design process by over 10x. So by scaling up and out, especially for electromagnetic simulations on Intel Xeon scalable processors such as C5 and R5, they're able to take portions of their design in what used to take 15 days, they can now do uh, in one day. And so. When you have this access to kind of scale and when you have access to diverse set of resources and when you're able to refresh your technology on an annual basis, you're able to use cloud HPC as a competitive advantage. So to summarize, AWS high-performance computing on Rescale powered by Intel is instant access to unlimited resources, choice of architectures, applications available and tuned, applications selected and running on the best architecture, jobs running with no weight and ultimately what this really results in is faster innovation shorter time to market and things like system utilization or optimizing for high system utilization and queues and engineers and researchers making decisions about uh, skipping portions of simulation because they're simply constrained by the amount of resources they have that is a thing of the past and organizations are Today, if an organization does not have a plan to at minimum extend their high-performance computing to the cloud, they will be at a competitive disadvantage. So I hope that was instructive. uh, Learn, Uh, we are here to answer any questions that you have. Um, But thank you for your attendance and uh, for everyone's attention. Any questions? That's a good question. Um, So the question was about uh, proprietary uh, applications that an organization has. It's very common for an organization to have proprietary applications that that they have written and are using for high-performance computing. Um, And the Rescope platform, uh, from our perspective, supports that. Um, So there's a variety of different methods. Um, We support all the container um, technology uh, that's out there. Uh, Singularity uh, tends to be one that we favor uh, a little more. Uh, uh, based on its ability to support high-performance computing and MPI applications a little more effectively, um, but we also support other container technology. And so uh, there's that, and there's also the ability to simply natively install uh, a, on a proprietary application and make a, a, private, um, a private release to an organization. Um, so in terms of selecting the best uh, infrastructure, we our team uh, and our, our technical support team for every uh, one of our customers, helps an organization understand the performance of that, uh, benchmarking on a variety of different um, architectures. And then what admins can do is um, restrict access to certain infrastructure that is good for certain software so that users are using the right uh, the right infrastructure uh, for the codes that they, that they have.
0: I, I think I'll just add something. Is my mic on or no? I think it is. It is, okay. Um, which is one thing I really like about uh, Rescale and working with them is, and we didn't get into a lot of details here today, is that they're providing interfaces at different levels. Uh, Matt talked about the spectrum of users and their expectations. Uh, but if you just want access to something that looks like a traditional cluster and don't need any prepackaged applications and want to get in on that and bring your own app, you can do that at scale. Uh, If you actually don't even have the applications, maybe you're coming from a workstation world and you haven't used HPC in the past, uh, the cloud is your on-ramp to give you access. And so the, the ability to sit at your workstation is probably a Windows workstation, and very simply take um, some simulation that you're asking a really hard question now, it's taking two or three days to run on a workstation. Being able to put that into HPC is difficult from infrastructure, switching over to Linux, learning how to build and deploy a system, going out and getting the license, not even know if you're gonna get the return on investment. Rescale makes it easy for you to actually take your workload, put it in the cloud, improve the value, and ramp into cloud. Uh, so there's a, the full range of offerings sitting on top of that infrastructure layer that comes from AWS, makes it very usable. More questions? Yeah. Well, I think, I think a lot of it comes down to the expertise in your organization. If you have the expertise uh, to build a system and you know you have enough workloads that you're gonna keep it busy and you can achieve scale, uh, then, then going on-premise is actually can be quite cost-effective. But most people, when they're getting started, uh, find that, they, that you know, the software licenses may be too expensive, uh, that they, you know, the cost of an administrator um, get amortized over the number of nodes you have on-prem can be quite high when you're getting started. And so the cloud never, wasn't an option in the past, but now it's a great way uh, to get started and start to understand the economics. And then you can decide whether you wanna go with the cloud only, um, you know, bring it back on-prem or what most organizations we find is the optimal solution is a combination of on-prem and in the cloud.
1: Matt. Yeah. So uh, to perhaps answer the question in different tact, I think you can use it for both, right? So um, it's certainly, uh, you can use a cloud to prototype new technologies understand, inform uh, purchasing decisions, Um, in addition to inform purchasing decisions on scale, right? So it's, uh, you may through your testing realize or through use and and through like a hybrid scenario like I discussed, you make more informed decisions about how to size on premise versus uh, cloud infrastructure, Um, or uh, and there, in what we typically recommend is, is not, uh, and the reason why we say extend and not replace HPC, right, in the cloud, extend to the cloud, is because there are workloads that do make sense to remain on premise, uh, especially when you get into data gravity issues um, and you know large data loads. Uh, there's, there's certain workloads that simply make sense depending on where that data starts and ends. Um, to retain on-premise, and there's certain that make more sense to do in the cloud. So helping to draw that line in between, it could either be to prototype a new system, a new process. Um, there's organizations that we work with that use the cloud for basically all their methods development. So they don't want to tie up production resources for all their methods development. So they have an entire group that is simply using the cloud to do engineering methods development. Then they'll, then they'll deploy those methods down to the organization uh, but we're talking about really large optimization uh, methodology and, and testing out how big, how complex they want to do, uh, they want to develop these methods for, and then put it down to the organization. So, what looks right for every organization looks different. Um, but the common trends are what Bill um, you know, referred to in terms of really eliminating that, uh, you know, the large queues. Um, enabling access to be able to think about problems differently, um, access to sale, scale, et cetera.
0: And yeah, there's nothing more expensive than engineers sitting, tapping fingers, waiting. Uh, you're paying that engineer every day, and it costs a lot more than a computer. Uh, so you need to unlock that productivity. Any more questions or comments?
1: In, in ours or our, or our customers? I don't have the, the answer off the top of my head. Might um, have to pull some specific. Um,
0: so, so is the question, yeah. what's the largest largest um, kind of R5?
1: That we've, that we've run simultaneously in terms of, uh, well, we know that the one use case that I am referred to was running about 3000 simultaneous cores so now I understand whatever you're, take vCPUs, CPUs and then go down to physical cores and then uh, divide, uh, you'd be about there. I don't know the number of, uh, off the top of my head if someone has R5 off the top of their head. Yeah. Um, we use a variety of regions. So the one of the, I think a benefit of using a, a, comp- a product like ours to be able to do high performance computing is that we have the ability to spread and push jobs. Um, this is obviously not the tightly coupled job, but let's say we have you know, 100 jobs of 100 cores each. We're able to hit and spread out those jobs and hit different regions simultaneously and then bring all the data back. Um, we're also able to do that with spot markets so that we can read you know, spot market levels, see where the spot market levels are in different regions and then deploy um, resources out to uh, different regions. So if we see like really high utilization or lack of resources, we'll dynamically move jobs from one region and push them to another. Um, and, and so that's, we don't have to do that, of course, um, if a customer prefers to be in a particular region, um, but that's, uh, with this, the particular use case that I used um, if you are running into resource limitations and you're finding that um, one of the things we do is, is dynamically spread um, jobs. Yeah, and, and so. Yeah.
0: Okay, so the, the comment is that you're having trouble getting, getting the number of R5 instances you need. Um, unfortunately, that's, a, that's something we'll need to take back to the AWS folks that's outside of our control. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that back and try to understand what's going on. Yeah, it surprises me, but unfortunately, I I don't have any access to statistics on on instance counts or types. All I can do is take that information back for you. Question.
1: I'm I'm sorry, GeoCloud? I'm not I'm not familiar with it. But uh oh, is it all the uh Is it the public data that Noah put in the access? um, Yes, sitting in a public S3? Yes, we do. Yep. So we can do any kind of bring your own data stores, whether it be in cloud or on premise, um, hook on any public data sets. Um, So, yeah. Yep. Uh, Monitoring applications. Um, So we have some proprietary technology that we've built for monitoring. Um, the, the, the running of a job, you know, individual applications have a variety of different monitoring capabilities that we're enabling through providing either like interactive like head nodes on a running cluster or attaching a visualization node to a uh, to a running cluster um, to be able to enable application monitoring. Does that answer your question? Okay. Yeah. So we actually, I mean, we utilize 30 different AWS services in delivering our final result. Um, so we're we're leveraging heavily uh, kind of the, all the innovation that AWS is pushing through our services and then constantly updating our platform as a result. I
0: think we had a question up front here. So what's the normal way for the preferred way the data to move from my
1: cluster to scale resource and probably more after Right. So the methodology that we are using is we're moving it. So it's being encrypted. uh, The moment that you're doing an upload uh, to a rescale managed S3 bucket, um, it's being encrypted, moving to S3 bucket as a staging area um, and then being moved to a EC2 instance. At that EC2 instance is being decrypted, run, monitored, then moving back to a S3 uh, bucket when it's done or when it's as the job is running. And then um, then it's a user decision whether they want to do post-processing in the cloud, depending on how large the data set is, or they want to bring the data set back down or parse the data set um, in some way before bringing it back down. Does that answer your question? Uh, kind of, so is Rescale providing API to, to, to write that into my and to find that I want to come back? All of that is, um, so, with the more complex workloads, yes. You can basically define the, the flow as you want by default. That's the default, though. So if you were to, in a very simplistic way, if, you were to, if you're a simplistic user going through our interface, we're going to orchestrate that all, like or we're going to automate that entire process for you. You're a command line user. By default, we're still going to automate that entire process for you. If you want like a specific different type of data flow, then we would just work with you to, to determine how to do that, like a multi-step um, workflow or complex workflow like some of our genomics customers have much more complex workflows where it's multi-step um, it was that's a it, we can script that up in a, in a different way but yes it's not done as like a it's not done through the default um, submission mechanism. I'm probably not totally answering the question to yeah, your and satisfaction. And
0: even in um, a typical say CAE type application um, you might, you, your input data sets might be relatively small, but your output data sets could be quite large. Uh, suppose you're doing, you know, whatever it is, heat transfer, and you've got lots of time steps you've saved. Um, a lot of times people will, will actually um, do their post-processing analysis and some visualization uh, with the data in the cloud, doing a remote visualization, uh, and then out of that decide what data they ultimately want to bring back on-prem and which data they want to discard. Uh, because moving data, of course, is expensive in terms of time and, and also, um, you know, actual cost right uh, so so a lot of times it makes sense to look at the data in the cloud and then decide what to do with it yep. another question here <laughs> hardware simulations okay So the, the question is, what is the performance penalty of running in a virtualized environment versus bare metal? Um, the, the answer is it, it depends, and it depends in a couple dimensions. Um, there is going to be a performance penalty of running virtualized versus bare metal. I think it, the, the actual penalty will, will vary by workload, and you can take your own workload and go run it, um, but it's typically measured in you know a, a percent or two type. That's the order of magnitude. Um, what happens then, though, is you start to... to um, collect up multiple nodes and, and harness them together, you can actually see the gap between bare metal performance and virtualized uh, performance growing. That's because you're introducing jitter and variation, you're introducing uh, variations in the, in the network performance relative to what you maybe would have purchased on-prem. And that's why we, we, if we think of this world of you know, the range of HPC workloads and this dimension being the sensitivity of the IP, you have to get comfortable with all the security before you put your data in the cloud. Matt talked about the certi- security certifications AWS has and, and that, that Rescale uh, adds to. <clears throat> the other dimension is the coupling of the application. And what you find is if you push an application too far uh, out to the extreme, uh, it will ultimately slow down rather than speeding up. Uh, and where it happen- where the, that rollover happens in the cloud typically occurs before where it would have if you built a dedicated system on-premise with bare metal and a tailored Network, So it really comes down to understanding your workloads and putting them in the right place. But the reality is that um, I've worked in HPC for, for three decades now, and I've worked at multiple supercomputing centers. We, I've never seen a supercomputing center that is actually running just the one big job that uses the whole system. There's always a mix of the big jobs that really drove the specifications of that system and a wide, wide range and a long tail of applications that are smaller, which are these parameter studies. Um, and so. As you, if you pick the right workloads and put those in the cloud, then their sensitivity to the overheads of virtualization uh, and not being on bare metal are are very diminished. And so it's still a good value and a good business return at the end of the day. Uh, The people, the examples Matt gave you, the example I gave you, these are people who really did get more work done uh, in the cloud and it was more cost effective to do it in the cloud because they picked the right workloads. So I think you'll see those characteristics change over time, but um, today there's still a bit of a penalty So the question, if I understand is: are there any plans from Intel to address um, the the performance to increase memory bandwidth and and help out applications that are bandwidth intensive? Absolutely. I mean, one of the challenges in, in system design, of course, is balance, right? It's all about bottlenecks that you move around. And if we make a processor much faster, but we don't improve the memory bandwidth, then those applications end up not benefiting from the platform. Meanwhile, if we increase the memory bandwidth and get ahead of a lot of applications that were really dense compute, they, they suffer. So what you see is, is we inch these up over time. Um, so in the example of going from the C4 to the C5 instances, we doubled the memory bandwidth of the platform. Uh, and I'm not making any public disclosures uh, today about future Intel platforms, but I will say that memory bandwidth is critically important for HPC and we have an aggressive roadmap uh, to continue, continue driving that up and you'll see that delivered through the cloud. One more question here. Uh, like uh, elasticity, right?
1: Yeah, so you're talking about dynamically like during the running of a job? Um, during the execution of a job, typically that's limited by the application itself to be able to do it if the application supports it. Um, a scale-up feature, um, then we can support it. But typically, we are—that is, an action taken prior to the selection of the resources. What we can, what we enable, is dynamic selection of the right resource, the right application um, to run a specific job. Um, one of the things I did not uh, bore you with in this was an, uh, what we did last year was a demo. Probably should have done that, <laughs> um, and that is it shows the ability to. Uh, to basically choose um, the resource and the resource size that you need um, uh, for, a particular, uh, for a particular job, for each job for every time, as opposed to having like a fixed set of resources and then just uh, submitting a job to some kind of subset of that fixed resource and then basically overspending, um, so.
0: Yeah, also I think it's important uh, that to consider that the word job means different things to different people. Um, someone might think of a job as an individual simulation that's going to run, but someone else might think of a job as the collection of a thousand um, different parameters that I want to sweep. Yeah. Uh, and if you have that type of job, which is a throughput-oriented job with many different things, then then a, a cloud can be very elastic. It can you know, expand out and, as long as it's keeping things busy and it's finding the spot instances and then contract at the end. But the individual, um, individual simulations, if you consider that a job, it's very rare to see those expand and contract even, even on-premise, let alone in the cloud.
1: So when I talked about high-performance storage, that's exactly what we're doing, is we basically built a mini-service to be able to dynamically create, you know, basically a high-throughput um, uh, data storage device um, that you can hook up to multiple clusters, visualization nodes, et cetera, transfer that in and out of permanent storage, et cetera. Um, so the answer is yes. Um, the issue always comes down to cost right, because it's just expensive to, depends how long you want need to keep it up. Um, and so one of the things that we focused on was how do we make this most cost effective as possible so you could spin it up for the least amount of time, get the work done, collaborate as necessary, but then constantly remind people that it's up and uh, still uh, holding data and you need to shut it down because you're incurring costs because it's basically like a, a running cluster for you. Um, and then also putting like, um, Uh, fail safes in it so they could shut down over over a course of time, but to succinctly answer your question, yes.
0: And and the default in high performance computing is applications interact with the system through file access interfaces, so bringing up a file system based on EBS is the kind of straightforward, most natural thing to do, Um, and, and going through an object interface isn't very natural to HPC programmers, so you won't see a lot of applications out there that know how to deal with object interfaces, or any cloud interfaces for that matter, that's why they want to sit at a, a familiar platform uh, interface T- to Matt's point um, one of the challenges just as we talked about you know it takes a certain level of scale on-prem before it makes sense you have to have you know access to, you amortize the cost of the administrator amortize the cost of the system amortize uh, the cost of the licenses all of those have to get to a certain scale before it makes sense uh, and for m- many organizations HPC on-prem does make sense that is your entire market today right <laughs> it's been built around that. Um, but high performance parallel file systems are exactly the same thing. A a cluster system in the workload mix has to reach a certain threshold before it makes sense to dedicate a high performance storage cluster. And just as once you put that gear on the floor, it's costing you, uh, the same exact thing is true in the cloud. We we can spin up Luster and other high performance file systems in the cloud, uh, but as Matt said, they're just an additional HPC job that's running all the time. And the question is, do you have enough workloads to hit on that storage and make it worthwhile? Right. I don't see any more questions. Thank you all for uh, coming no. and thanks for sticking around yeah. uh, and the great questions.